Let us pray. God, thank you for what we've experienced already in worship today. And it is my prayer, Lord, that we just get uh, your presence, your truth, and your message for our hearts this morning through your text. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in John chapter 6, starting with verse 15. And uh, I'd like to read it to you this morning, and you can follow along or, or just listen. It says, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, we are just taking up the tail end of the feeding of the 5,000. And so we see that the the crowd is wanting to, to make Jesus their king. And then it says in verse 16, that evening came and Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Uh, Just a side note, our troubles usually begin when we get ahead of Jesus, don't they? Well, we see here that soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly, there's that word again, it just gets me every time, suddenly... They saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. And they were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. I want to show you a picture. Now, this is Donna and I on our vacation a couple weeks ago. And um, we were having a great time. And this is a friend of ours had a boat, and he has been trying to get us on that boat for years. And so finally we had the time and the opportunity. So this is us going down the intercoastal waterway uh, between Holden Beach and Southport, if you're familiar with that area. And uh, so this is just along the intercoastal waterway. And uh, he said, do you want to drive the boat? And I said, of course, what anybody would, yes. Uh, but don't be impressed. I just kind of held the steering wheel in one place. Uh, now Donna, on the other hand, she got a hold of it and she was doing all kinds of crazy things. So, uh, but it was fun and this was, uh, this was a great day for us because, uh, this boat was, it was, it was more about the people, but man, we were just cruising along and, and in the intercoastal waterway, everything was great. But all of a sudden the, the coast on both sides disappeared. Then all of a sudden we were in this big body of water and If you didn't notice this, there is a big difference between streams, waterways, rivers, and then oceans. And so this boat was great for the intercoastal waterway. I mean, it's it's great for anywhere you want to take it. But in my opinion, when we got out of the intercoastal waterway, I noticed something. The waves were much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And the boat was a rockin'. All right. And now I'm grateful that we didn't get seasick and, and, uh, it was a great boat and, and our friend was a great captain and everything's fine. But I asked him the dumb question. I said, well, why are the waves so much bigger out here? And it's kind of like he looked at me and said, duh. You'd have to know him because that's what he would say. Duh. It's deeper out here. I said, oh, okay. Because when we were going in the waterway, it might have been 12, 15 feet or whatever. So I said, well, he had a depth finder. How deep is it? He said, oh, it's about 90 feet right here. Okay. 
And uh, the waves were rocking and the boat was moving. And uh, what was once a nice stroll down the intercoastal waterway now turned into something more exciting. I would have hated to have seen it. Uh, Cape Fear River was bad enough, but I would have hated to have seen it if we'd have been on the open ocean, which was just a left turn away. He said, you want to go out there? I said, nope, I'm good. <laughs> Bigger boat, maybe. But, uh, but no, it, it was a great time. And uh, we enjoyed it and we were grateful for it. Because, folks, let me tell you something. A lot of times, life is like a boat ride, is it not? Life, I mean, I can see in my life, maybe in your life, some days we're just cruising along, and in other days the waves are, are too much to handle. All of a sudden, uh, we're cruising along, and the days get dark, the waves get bigger, the water that we're wading in gets deeper, and sometimes all we can do is hold on to the boat and pray for it to surpass, or pray for it to get over. Let me ask you something. Have you ever had a storm in your life? I would say probably 100% in here, yes. We've all had storms in our lives. What may be a storm for me may not be a storm for you, but have you ever asked when the storm came? Have you ever asked this question? Where did this storm come from? Where did these hard times come from? Have you ever asked yourself that? I've asked myself that. Or maybe you are asking, why am I having to go through this? That's the common questions when we go through a storm, is it not? The, the number one question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to somebody I love? Or the next question might be, what am I supposed to do with this? What is my next step? Or when will it end? I mean, those are common storm questions, are they not? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to figure that out. No pun intended. That was my VBS plug. It was a bad one, I know. We are galactic starveyors. But uh, we've all asked those questions, but Jesus places us. Jesus places us in the very storms that scare us. Why does he do that? Pretty simple. So we will call out to him. My friend, if you are in a storm today, he wants you to call out to him. If you go back and look at the storms you've been through, he wanted you to call on him. And I got news for you. There's probably some cloudy skies up ahead and a storm you hadn't seen yet. But it's coming. Storms are for us to call out to him. And so, in today's scripture we just read, in John chapter 6, this is the account of the disciples on the water. And, and just as a side note, this same story occurs in two other of the Synoptic Gospels. They uh, appear in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark 6. And just because there are discrepancies or different accounts uh, that have different details in it. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that these are three people telling the same story. Now some of you in here, I've sat down with you, and you know how to tell a story. You can drag it out. And some of you have got a lot of details, and some of you give me just the facts. And so as we take a cross-section of these three accounts... We get the truth and the nuggets that are found in the scripture. So let's go back and look. The first thing that we see in verses 15 through 17 is we see that Jesus knows when dangers approach. Jesus knows when dangers approach. And I would add to that, 
even before you do. Jesus knows. As it said, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. Now, one thing to remember when we read John is that John was kind of like a word picture painter. And so he used the terms light and dark a lot to mean two things. Number one, quite literally, the sun and where it is outside. It's either bright or it's dark. But a lot of times he would use light and dark to represent good and evil. He would use darkness to represent uh, the Lord working or the devil working. And so as it talks about the darkness fell upon the disciples, not only was it getting dark in the life, but... But we see that there is this crowd trying to push Jesus into a corner that he and the disciples are not ready for. My question to you is, in this passage, are you the crowd or are you the disciples? The crowd here, they were pushing for a political revolution. They saw a man that could do amazing things that they could not explain. And they wanted to make him their king so they could rule the world. Well, my friend, Jesus will rule the world but it will not be in an earthly power sense. They wanted, his miracle, they wanted the miracle worker to be their king. And the crowd was turning from people that were interested in Jesus to they were starting to become a mob. And Jesus sensed the danger, so he got his disciples together and they retreated. And he, they removed themselves from the situation. One thing that we can learn from Jesus here and the disciples is that when your days are getting darker and you are in situations you shouldn't be, the best thing that you can do is remove yourself from the situation. I'm I'm here to tell you, this is not just for teenagers and children. People have no problem telling teenagers and children, be careful about the friends you hang around. It goes for adults too. We've got to make sure that we're not surrounding ourselves with people that are detrimental and toxic to our faith rather than those that will help us build it up. But you see, there's a mob getting here. And if it had gotten bigger, the Roman government would have gotten involved because they didn't want. I mean, really, to the Roman government throughout all of this, this was a, a Jesus was a beef that the Jews had. The Roman government, we see even in Pilate's hands, said, look, this is y'all's thing. Y'all deal with it. Because it never got to be a political thing. It was a religious thing. I wish our politics could see that today. I wish our churches could see that today. Look, I have no problem for pastors and churches and people to take a stand for what they believe. And we got to vote and we got to be a part of the political system. But we do not need to preach parties. We do not need to preach anything but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew that it was getting political and he, kept, he removed the situation. He removed the disciples from the situation. We need to pray for our country. We need to vote when we can. We need to stay informed on the issues. We need to hold our servants that are in the public office accountable. We need to pray for those that are in office. A, that they are a believer, and B, if they're not a believer, that they would become one, or even if they don't, that God would still use them. 
That is how we change. But Jesus withdrew them. Now the disciples, though, some of the disciples, let's be honest, they loved the popularity. They were like, hey, man, this is great. I went from being a fisherman on a boat to now I'm recognized by hundreds of people, thousands of people. And so there was a danger here. Their, their direction, the direction of the disciples, the destination, their journey, they were all at the discretion of Jesus Christ. So what did the disciples have? They had blind faith. Jesus says, follow me. Y'all read your scriptures. Did Jesus fill in all the dots, all the blanks? Did he cross all the T's and dot all the I's? Did he tell them exactly where they would be in three and a half years, four years? What did he say, church? He said, follow me. And that was it. Come follow me for the wildest ride you will ever experience. So they gave him blind faith. They gave him trust. They gave him their devotion. And they, they gave Jesus their destiny. The big question here is that we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus knew the storm was coming, right? If Jesus knew the storm was coming, why did he send his dearest friends and his disciples into it? Why did, why did Jesus allow them to go through that storm? Well, the big answer is, the great danger was not the impending storm. The storm was a tool to grab the disciples' attention. Because what was happening is, is that they were starting to get big heads. They were starting to get egos. They were starting to believe the hype that everybody was giving them. Hey, you're part of that Jesus movement. And Jesus knew that he had to humble them. And he had to teach them. That it's not about what other people say about you, but it's about holding on to me. And so what we see is that Jesus wants you to follow him for his sake, not the crowd. Jesus wants you to follow him for his sake, not the crowd. I believe it's James in his his book, he talks about the fact of why do we fear other people when they have no power to keep us out of hell? Folks, it's not about the name of the church we go to. It's not about how many Christian bumper stickers we can put on our car. It's not about how many Facebook stories we can share and forward and all those kind of things about our faith. It's about loving Jesus. Not for what we get out of it. Not even for the friends that we get out of it. Not even the covered dishes we get out of it, because I love the covered dishes, don't you? But all of those things are not as important as having Jesus himself as our Savior and Lord. Verses 18 and 19, we see that storms often follow victories to give you balance. Storms often follow victories to give you balance. Folks, you can take this one to the bank. After your greatest victories will come your greatest trials and temptations. You can write that down. You can remember it. But it is a guarantee. After your greatest victories, you will have your greatest trials and temptations. What we see in verse 18. Soon a gale swept upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. Folks, fear can be a good thing when it changes our focus. 
Some of you, like me, have been all up into your world and your schedule and your routine until finally the doctor talks to you and says, look, we have a problem. I need you to come in. Oh, our, our life is going great until all of a sudden we find out that uh, we get that letter in the mail or we get that phone call or that text. And all of, all of a sudden, our entire life has changed. Out of the blue, here comes a storm. Let me show you a picture. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is a, a modern day picture of it. But if you could go back and you can look at the topography of the Sea of Galilee, it is basically the sea is in a bowl. With mountains all around it. So it would be nothing for the Sea of Galilee for all of a sudden a wind to get into that bowl. And then all of a sudden they have a terrible storm. Even to this day they have storm warnings. And they they encourage boats that have powered motors to stay docked when they have storms. So if they do that for a powered boat, can you imagine what these fishermen were doing in their boat? Now remember... Majority of these guys were fishermen. So if they say the storm is bad, what does that mean? That's that's a bad storm. And they were rowing and rowing and rowing and doing everything they could to stay strong. But they knew that they couldn't handle that storm on their own. Folks, listen to this. God will put you in situations where your strengths will become your weakness. Yep. Those things that get you through life one day will not, will not get you. You will try your hardest within your own strength. Why is he doing that? Because he's saying, stop running yourself ragged and trust me. That's the whole reason you've got the storm right here. The disciples did not even think of Jesus coming to them on the water. I mean, think about it. They're in the middle of the storm. Did they even register? Oh, maybe he'll walk out of here and help us out. No, that wasn't even on their radar. Let me ask you something. Has Jesus ever introduced himself into your life in a way you never expected? Absolutely he has. Here's what we can see from this. Even though the disciples, in another account, they say that they thought he was a ghost walking on the water. But here's the thing. Fear is chased away when we expect God to act. Fear is chased away when we expect God to act. And folks, I'm preaching to myself on this, okay? Fear is a normal emotion that God has created us with to help us navigate life and to understand feelings and and to act accordingly. That's a God-given thing. But when it paralyzes us, And it brings us to the end of ourselves. A lot of times the reason we are in a bad way is because we have lost any expectation that God can do anything. Have you become less expectant and kind of taken Jesus for granted? Say, no, Jesus is my Sunday thing. Jesus is my Wednesday thing. Jesus is my my whatever thing, folks. The biggest problem we've had in America with Christianity is we compartmentalize Jesus. Yeah, I, there's some of you in here are really big into organization. You know, if there's a Tupperware thing made to put something in, you've got it kind of thing. 
And, and we have all of these little things where, okay, this is here, this is Monday, this is Tuesday, da 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 and everything is in order. And then all of a sudden a storm comes and whoosh! Picks up the table and everything is scattered everywhere. Jesus is no respecter of our compartmentalization. Jesus wants us. He wants all of us. So if you are in a storm, my friend, let me tell you, be expectant of Jesus to intervene. Somehow, some way, I don't know. But if he can beat death and he can walk on water, I think he can handle what we're going through. Amen. Amen. Jesus knew the disciples' self-inflation of their pride would be a problem for them. What's the problem with becoming self-sufficient as a believer? Well, the first thing is he was afraid that all of this popularity that they were getting could cause them to fall, to self-implode. I got a picture here of a guy. His name is George's Christian. He is a strong man from Luxembourg, and he can rip those phone books in half. And there's a YouTube video. I didn't have a chance to to put it on here because of our system, but uh, he basically takes a hot water bottle and he blows it up with just his lungs. Now that's a feat. I mean, first of all, I would never try that with a hot water bottle. But I mean, he sat there, and in 58 seconds, he holds the record for being a person that can blow it up the fastest. And so the thing gets this big, and they show the the people watching it, and you're like, you ever seen somebody blow up a balloon really big? What are you doing? You're like, when's it going to pop? I can't do it. I can't look, but I want to see. Oh, and then all of a sudden, boom, it goes everywhere, and pieces of rubber go everywhere, and uh, he has a world record. But, but folks, sometimes when we overinflate ourselves, when we think a little too much about ourselves rather than God, we are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger we make ourselves, the less room we leave for Jesus to work. Jesus knew that the disciples were getting the big head. And the second thing is that he was afraid that they would lose sight of the true mission. The mission was not for them to take over the world in an earthly power. Their mission was to take his gospel to his people and to the Gentiles so that people may be saved. That was their mission. They died for that mission. Folks, storms will challenge our resources. Their money couldn't save them. Their experience as fishermen couldn't save them. They were rowing as hard as they could. But folks, fighting the storm in your own strength will leave you exhausted. If your storm has left you exhausted, I have a great word for you. Stop. Stop rowing. Stop depending on your nest egg. Stop depending on your experience. Stop depending on all of those things that you can put in your hands. Stop depending on all of your tradition. Those things in of themselves are not bad, but at the end of the day, they are not going to be what brings you through the storm. God has brought you to the end of yourself for a reason. And that is to cling to Him. 
While we are in the storm, there's three things that happen. I want to show you this. While we are in the storm, three things happen. Number one, Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf. Folks, when you are in the storm, Jesus prays for you. The second thing, as we see in this story, those people weren't rowing to Jesus, were they? Jesus was walking to them on the water. And the third thing we see is that Jesus gets us to our destination safely. The storm was rough, but they got to the other side. Even Gilligan got home, right? I still don't understand how they had all that stuff for a three-hour tour. But folks, it's kind of neat if you didn't know that when they made those characters up, they were based on the seven deadly sins. Vanity, greed, sloth, sluggardness, folly, all of those things. But isn't it great to know that when we're in the storm, Jesus prays for us, he comes to us, and he gets us to our destination safely. Jesus, in the midst of a storm, is giving you an opportunity, number one, to let him prove his love for you. And number two, to let you prove to yourself your love for him. Isn't it great that Jesus was more interested in the lives of his disciples than those that were just following him for the praise of the crowd? Jesus was not seeking celebrity status. It was far the opposite of that. Many want Jesus today. There are many people, especially in American Christianity, that have no problem saying, Jesus is my healer. Amen. Heal me from all my physical ailments. Heal my friends. I don't want to have to worry about somebody getting sick. I don't want to have to lose loved ones. You are the healer. Amen. And you are my provider. Amen. And we will, we will sing songs about it. We will talk about how good, how good God is and how He's given so much stuff to us. But when it comes to Savior, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, you can be my Savior. I want fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. But, but that's, the, oh, praise Jesus, I'm not going to go to hell. Praise Jesus, I'm going to be with all those others that have accepted you. And I will see them in heaven. But uh, this whole uh, Lord thing, you mean, oh, I'm going to praise you that I'm going to be obedient during the midst of a storm. <clears throat> When's the last time you said, God, thank you for this storm? Because it's teaching me to depend upon you. We don't do that. That's not exciting. That's not a great chorus to sing. That's not a great hymn to sing, is it? But it is the gut level truth that in the storms, in the midst of our misery, that is when we cling to him the most. So Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our savior. But he is also our Lord. And that means whether things are going good or whether things are going bad, his name is still at the top. Jesus, keep me well and happy is the cry that many people have today. But I got news for you. Jesus is not always interested in you being happy. 
Happiness is not, I mean, happiness is a great thing, but as far as God's goal for us to be happy, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. He calls us to serve Him. So, if you could walk away today with anything, I would encourage you to do this. Number one, honestly evaluate your life. And if there is any way within you, it's kind of like David says in Psalm 51, search me and know my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. If there is any part of self-service, self-interest, of you putting yourself above what Jesus wants for you, I pray that you identify it, that you claim it, and you confess it by name and repent from it. Remove that independent spirit from your life. Run away from your self-absorption and cling to Him. Don't make Him just a part of your life. Make Him your life. And when Jesus calls you in the midst of the storm, look at verse 20. When Jesus calls to you, He says, Joe, Susie, Beth, whoever, whoever, He calls you by name. And He calls out to you. And He's walking in the midst of your storm. And it doesn't make sense. But He's there. And you are exhausted. What does he say? Don't be afraid. I am here. And the profound part about that comment is that he uses the phrase, I am. Which is the same word God used for the Israelites. What is your name, God? I am, I am. Don't be afraid. I am here. So the invitation is this this morning. If you're in the midst of a storm, my invitation to you is to deny yourself and to cling to Him. Now, what does that mean? Just let go and let God? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of that simple, but it's very complex. That means every time that tension in the back of your neck starts, every time you're tempted to take your toys back, And work on them on your own. Nope. I've given it away. I've given it away. And you know one of the best ways to get your mind off of your storm? Is to focus on other people. That's why missions is so important. If your life is crazy right now. And you don't see how you can make it through it. And you're a believer. And you've got so many things that are weighing on you. The best thing you can do is come up here each night. And help us with VBS. Well I hadn't signed up for anything. We will find a place for you to serve. The best way to get your mind off your problems is to focus on somebody else. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you are in the midst of your boat, and you are sunk by your sins, He comes to you today and says, I am here. If you would simply ask me to get in the boat. Accept me as your Savior and Lord. And I will forgive you of your sins. And you will be with me forever. And I will be with you every minute of every day. Maybe you'd like to come to the front to pray at the altar. Join the church. Or just pray where you're at. Whatever it may be. 
This invitation is a time for you to respond. Would you stand as we sing?